Bibles with you tonight, would you open them, please, to 2 Peter, chapter 3. 2 Peter, chapter 3. And tonight we're going to continue in a message that we began this morning, how to live in the last days. How to live as we await the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ for His church. How to live in the light of the history ending as we know it. 2 Peter chapter 3. Some very wordy verses, perhaps somewhat difficult to understand. But if you bear with me, we'll learn them together tonight. 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning with verse 14. The words of Peter speaking to those of his day who would listen. The words of Peter speaking to us tonight who will listen. Wherefore, verse 14, Beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. Even as our beloved brother, the Apostle Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, has written unto you. As also in all of his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand which they that are unlearned and unstable struggle with, as they do also other scriptures unto their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware lest you also, being led away with the air of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. Rather, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. I want to call your attention to verse 10, which I did not read, but I want you to look at the first part of that verse. The day of the Lord will come as a thief. In context, Peter is talking about the last days, the coming of Jesus. Now, it's been wisely said there are three types of people in our world. Those who are afraid. Those who do not know enough to be afraid. And those who know their Bibles. As we look around our world, There is ever reason to be afraid. Russia, the Russian bear that we thought was wounded, suddenly has been restored to its health and has become aggressive and has become expansive in in the Ukraine and in Crimea and in the Balkans and even in Syria. China, the largest nation in the world people-wise, who boast that they can throw into battle a 200 million man army if they need to. China has become much more militant and possessive in the South China Sea 
and in parts of Asia. Iran, with the funding we have given them in that deal that was made, is now financing and arming radical Islamic terrorists all across the world. North Korea continues to push the buttons of confrontation, seemingly wanting a war, if we would respond back. Western Europe, hesitant, fractured, and weak, is unable to rise up to these challenges. And the only superpower nation left in the world, the United States, our country, is led by little men in the White House and in the Congress who live in a fantasy world of appeasement. And all across the world, we see one debt crisis after another after another. We see food and water shortages popping up on a frequent basis. We see epidemics of disease. We see violent attacks by crazies and fanatics of all names. And the nations of the world seem to be overwhelmed. They don't know what to do. The world that we live in is rapidly being sucked into a dark hole. A hole where there is no return and there's no way out. And it's in the context of all of this that Peter once again reminds us this world is not our home. Our home is in heaven. And our citizenship is in another country. We're citizens of another kingdom. The kingdom of God. Soon the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come again. He's going to take us away to be with him. But until then, ladies and gentlemen, as I talk to you this morning, we have business to do. We carry on in the light of his coming until we go to be with him. And once again, in 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter challenges you and I that if we believe Jesus is coming soon, if we believe that history is about to come to a climatic, catastrophic end, then this is what we need to be doing. First of all, in verse 14, he says, be diligent. Be diligent. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things. Now, what things is he talking about? He's referring back to verse 13, where he says, we're to be looking for the promise of a new heavens and a new earth. When, therefore, beloved, because you're looking for such things. You're looking for the new heavens. You're looking for the new earth. You're looking for the king and the kingdom that's coming. Be diligent. Be diligent. Diligent about what? That you be found in peace and without spot and blameless. Now that word diligence is an interesting word. It comes from a Greek word that means to do something with urgency and to do it with haste. Not to be slack, not to waste time, to be diligent, to do something with urgency. No emergency, 
and to do it with haste and to do it with swiftness and to do it with speed while time allows you to do it. Jeremiah 48 verse 10 says, Cursed is he who does the work of the Lord with slowness and slackness. As the coming of Jesus draws near, as history is starting to collapse before our very eyes, we must be diligent. What we're going to do for our Lord, we must do with haste and we must do with urgency. So what are we supposed to do? First of all, he says, have peace. Peace, the absence of conflict. There's three kinds of peace the Bible talks about. There's upward peace, that's peace with God, and that's made when you give your life to Jesus Christ. And then there's outward peace. That's peace with each other, getting along with one another. And then there's inward peace. The peace that you have within you as you live under the Lord and with other people. Now, Peter is not talking about upward peace here. He's assuming that the people he's writing to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. So the peace that he's talking about here as we await the coming of the Lord is outward peace. Getting along with each other, inward peace, an absence of conflict within your very self. Now, how does this peace come? How can we have peace with each other that we might have peace on the inside? Remember what we said this morning? It comes from that word called forgiveness. 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 In a world that will wrong you, in a world that will hurt you, I will not dwell in my mind on those wrongs and those hurts. I will not speak with my mouth of those wrongs and those hurts to everybody. I, I'm not going to talk about it no more. I'm not going to allow those wrongs and hurts, those wrongs and those hurts, to turn me away from living the kind of life that I should live. I'm not going to run from my home. I'm not going to run from my church. I'm not going to run from my place of business. I'm not going to be a fugitive because I've been wronged and hurt. I'll hold my head up high and walk on. I will forgive. I will forgive. And forgiveness, listen to me, brings peace. Forgiveness will make your heart light and joyous. And unforgiveness will make your heart heavy and miserable. Unforgiveness is debilitating. It's crippling. It's damaging. Unforgiveness is like an acid. It will eat the container that holds it. It will destroy Peter says in the final days of history, as the coming of the Lord draws near, God's people need peace. They need to start learning how to get along with one another by forgiving. And when they do that, they will get along with themselves. 
they will have a life of a light, joyous heart, not a life weighed down by heaviness. And then he talks about something else that we should be diligent about. It's purity. Notice he says in verse 14, without spot. Without spot. Now this word spot is a reference to what he's already talked about in 2 Peter chapter 2 when he was talking about false teachers and false prophets and their tendencies to be involved in sexual immorality. And what he's saying to the people of God is, listen, as the coming of the Lord draws near, as you find yourself living in the last days, know the last hours, know the last minutes, maybe even the last seconds of history, keep yourself pure from sexual immorality. Do not allow sexual immorality to spot your soul. That's not easy, is it? Because we live in a world in which Satan has ruptured the sewage pipe of sexual immorality. And it's spewing everywhere. Pornography, fornication, adultery homosexuality, incest, molestation, perversions, deviations, all kinds of things are taking place that we never thought would ever be in public. And now it's being paraded down the streets in many cities. Challenge to you and I who are followers of Christ, citizens of another kingdom, is to keep ourselves pure from to not be involved in it, to not certainly engage in it. And it's not easy, because everywhere you turn, it's staring at you in the face. But what can we do? Well, if we're going to stay pure, we've got to learn how to flee. The Bible says to flee youthful lust. You flee it, you run from it. You don't try to negotiate with it. You don't try to debate it. You don't try to talk about it with somebody. You just run. Remember when Potiphar's wife came after Joseph? He didn't sit down and try to open the scriptures with her and talk to her about the Bible. When she made a move on him, he made a move out the door. He showed her heels. He ran. You have to flee from it. You have to put guards up to protect yourself. Parents and grandparents, that's so important in our day when so many young people have access to things that we never dreamed about and don't know, know anything about. You better put those safeguards on your computer. You better put safeguards on your phone. You better guard your young people. Lest they fall and ruin their life and maybe their eternity. You say, I don't know nothing about that stuff. Well, ask somebody who does to help you. Guard your young ones from what's out there. You run from it. You guard yourself from it. And if you fall, you don't just say, well, I fell, I might as well give up. No, confess your sin immediately. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us.
If you get knocked down by sexual immorality, get back up. Brush yourself off. Walk on in that forgiveness. Be diligent. Have peace. Have purity. And then in verses 15 through 17, he carries us to another thought. He says, not only be diligent, have peace through forgiveness, have purity through fleeing and guarding and confessing. But he says, be discerning. Verses 15 through 17, listen to what he says. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. And then he makes reference to the Apostle Paul and some of the writings that he has. He's putting his stamp of approval that Paul's word was God's word too. He said, even as our beloved brother Paul has also according to the wisdom given unto him written unto you, as also in all of his epistles speaking in them of these things, which are some things hard to understand. Now he's speaking here of the scriptures. Some things in the scriptures are hard to understand. And those who are unlearned take those things and twist them as they do other scriptures unto their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware, be on guard, lest you also, being led away with the air of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. Be discerning. There are some things that are hard to understand. Beware that there are those out there who, not understanding them, will twist them, give you a wrong interpretation of them, that they can destroy you. In the last days, nonsense will enter the church and be called truth. Are you listening to me? False prophets and false teachers in the last days will come into the pulpits of churches in America. Wolves in sheep's clothing. And they will take the scriptures should they use them. And they will twist them and they will distort them into their own meaning. They'll take truth and make it nonsense. And people will be deceived by the hundreds, by the thousands, by the millions as the Pied Pipers lead them to hell. What he's saying is we need to be discerning. We need to know certain things to protect ourselves. In verse 15, he talks about salvation. There's so much confusion. There is so much distortion. There's so much erroneous information out there about what is salvation. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2, if you would, for just a moment. I want you to see verses 8 through 10. If you will learn these three verses, if you learn nothing else, you will never be deceived about salvation. It's about as plain as it can be made, 
in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Now, if you've got a pen or a pencil, you might want to write in your Bible, just underline three prepositional phrases. These prepositional phrases, if you will keep these in mind, will keep you from ever being deceived or confused about what it means to be saved. Verse, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace. By grace are you saved through faith. By grace, through, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto what? Good works which God has before ordained them that we should walk in them. Three prepositional phrases. By grace, through faith, unto good works. We are saved by God's grace. Salvation is not a reward for being good. It's a gift to those who have been bad. Okay? By God's grace, he gives it. He gives it fully, he gives it freely, he gives it forever, he gives it paid in full because of the cross at Calvary. It comes from God, it's by his grace, it's a gift. How is it received? It's received how? Through faith. Faith is trust. A trust that's based on belief. I believe that God's Son, Jesus Christ, died for my sins on a cross. I believe he paid for my sins in full. And I believe that, so I put my entire trust in him. I put my faith in him. No other person, no other thing, entirely in him. When he said it's finished, I believe it's finished. And it's finished for me. By grace through faith. And how do you know you got the real thing? Because you will see it in good works, unto good works. Good works do not save you, but good works are an evidence that you are saved. By grace, through faith, unto good works. No creeds, no codes, no causes, no changes, no ceremonies, no conduct, just Christ. That's it. So in the area of salvation, be discerning. Don't let somebody come and tell you, well, you need to be baptized to be saved, or you need to do this, or you need to do that, or you need to go here, or you need to go there, or you need to give this, or you need to give that. Faith. Faith. And then he says, be discerning, if you will. Going back to 2 Peter. Being discerning and the area of the scriptures. He makes mention that some of the scriptures are hard to understand, and I'll amen that, won't you? There, there's many places in the Bible that are difficult to, to try to get a handle on. It says in verse 16, he says, they're hard to understand, and because they're hard to understand, 
Sometimes people will come and give us a, a false interpretation that they might take a truth and make it an error. We need to understand the Scriptures. Not just salvation, but the Scriptures themselves. Now, I might get a few of you ruffled up here tonight, but I'm willing to do that. By the way, if you have a complaint, you see Keith. But I want to say this to you. All Bibles are translations of a translation. We don't have the original manuscripts, and we never have had the original manuscripts. They've been gone for thousands of years. So every Bible, including the one that you hold in your hand right now, is a translation of a translation. A translation of a Hebrew translation, a, a translation of a Greek translation, a translation of, of, a, of a Latin translation, but it's a translation of a translation. Do you got that? And whenever you do translating, there's three ways of doing translation. You have what we call the formal equivalent style of translation. That's where a translator will do word-for-word -word translation. Word-for-word -word translation. It's called formal equivalency. The King James Version Bible, if that's what you believe in and have, that is a formal equivalency translation. The New American Standard is. The English Standard Version is. All of those Bibles are word-for-word -word translations from a translation. And then you have what's called the dynamic equivalence translation. That is where the translator will not translate word-to-word. -word. He will translate sentence-to-sentence. -sentence. He's not concerned about getting the words right. He's concerned about getting the sentence correct or the paragraph of sentences correct. It's a looser translation, but could still be accurate. And then there's a third translation called a paraphrase. Some of you might have read the Bible called the Message that was popular a while back, or the Living Bible. These are paraphrase translations where the translator translates an idea. He reads a portion of scripture, gets an idea about what's being said, and then even looser than loose, he translates. Now, do you understand that? Your Bible, whether it's a formal equivalence, a dynamic equivalence, or a paraphrase, is a translation of a translation by scholars who do the best that they can do. Now, we got Christians that get all upset about translations. I don't really care what translation you use. It's irrelevant to me. I'll be entirely happy as your pastor if you'll take the translation you got and read it and study it and live it. Why do you want to argue over something if you don't read it? Why do you want to argue over some if you don't study it? Why do you want to argue over some if you don't obey it? I know many people who have the King James Bible and they swear by it and they're mean as a rattlesnake. These scripture wars are silly. 
They're full of nonsense sometimes. You say, Pastor, what version do you preach out of? The Jim Palmer Amplified Version. <laughs> when it comes to salvation, he says, be discerning. When it comes to scriptures, be discerning. And in verse 17, when it comes to the area of steadfastness, do you see that word in verse 17? Be discerning. Be steadfast in the things that you know are true. Don't get moved off of them. That's what the word steadfast means. It means to stand on something you know is true and don't get pushed off of it. As a football coach, I can tell you football teams win because they know the fundamentals of the game and they work at them and they do them well. And churches that are victorious, churches that are champion churches, they know the fundamentals of the faith and they work on them and they do them well. They don't go chasing after novelties and trends and fads that are always coming down the pike. They know how to worship. They know how to witness. They know how to give. They know how to serve. They know how to, to, to study the Word of God. That's not glamorous, but folks, I'm telling you, it works. It works. You say, how do you know it works? Because that's what made the church of Acts great. And that church turned the world upside down for Jesus. So I kind of figure it would work for us too. Be diligent. Be diligent to have peace with others and peace with yourself through forgiveness. Be diligent to be pure from sexual immorality do not allow it into your mind. Do not allow it into your eyes. Don't allow it into your heart. And certainly don't engage it with your body. Be discerning. Understand what salvation is. Understand the scriptures. Understand steadfastness. In a world that's twisting all of this into nonsense. And then lastly, as we close, he says, be disciplined. Verse 18, be disciplined. As the coming of Jesus draws near, be diligent, be discerning, and be disciplined. For he says, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Be disciplined. Be disciplined in what? Grace. Grace. Specifically, what grace? The grace of knowing who you are. The grace of knowing who I am. Who are you? Who am I? We're just sinners, aren't we? Saved by God's grace to be saints. That's a pretty simple, isn't it? Sinners. Saved by God's grace to be saints. Do you know who you are? You think you a big shot? You think you a high-ranking muckety-muck? No, you're not. You're just a sinner saved by grace, like I am. Like we all are. And sinners saved by grace to be saints. You are who you are. 
by grace. You have what you have by grace. You do what you do by grace. You're a sinner saved by grace to be a saint. You say, Pastor, I can't believe that. I cannot believe that. Well, can you believe that a frog becomes a man? That's evolution. Many people do. That's a fairy tale. And yet there's some people who can believe that nonsense, but can't believe that by God's grace, a sinner can become a saint. By grace. Remember who you are. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And in that grace, I become a saint. And then he says, be disciplined not only in knowing who you are, grace, but knowing who he is. Peter goes out of his way to address the title of our Savior. Notice what he says, a fourfold description, one of the few times in the Bible you'll ever see this. He says, be disciplined in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. A fourfold description of the Lord Jesus. Let's talk about that. Lord. He talks about Lord, the knowledge of our Lord. This is speaking of the fact that Jesus Christ is supreme and we owe him our submission. He is Lord. We don't make him Lord. He is Lord. And we respond to him in submission to his will. He's Lord. But also he is Savior. Do you see that word? He's Savior. This speaks of his redemptiveness. He's the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. And we respond to him in love as Savior. Submission as Lord. Because he loved me enough to die for me, I will love him. He loved me that I could love him. And then he's Jesus. This speaks of his humanity. God became a man at Bethlehem. Jesus was 100% man, yet without sin. And as Jesus, we adore him. Oh, come, let us. As Lord, he's supreme, we submit to him. As Savior, he's redemptive, we love him. As Jesus, he's 100% man, he's humanity, we adore him. And then he's Christ. This one who's 100% humanity is also 100% deity. He's the second member of the Holy Trinity, fully man, and he's fully God. And we worship him. Wow. Peter knows how to close out a sermon, don't he? He's Lord, he's Savior, he's Jesus, and he's Christ. Submit to him, love him, adore him, worship him. Even more so, as you know, he's coming to you soon. Be diligent, be discerning, be disciplined. The hours growing dark, and soon they're going home. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.